okay with uh, it being March break. So uh, come and find a spot to sit. And uh, we'll press on. And uh, it's been interesting this morning, just uh, all of the, during the worship time and the words that came and then what Joe just shared, like about a third of my message has already been covered, uh, which is encouraging in some ways because, you know, it just means, okay, this is what God's speaking about. So uh, the whole of my introduction about our time in uh, England, Joe's just covered, so that's good. We don't need to do that again. We'll, uh, we'll give that one a skip. So uh, we're, gonna, we're heading into Joshua chapter 5 today. Um, we've been going through the book of Joshua the last few uh, weeks and uh, since the start of the year, really, really. And uh, Joshua chapter 5, the Israelites have crossed over the River Jordan by now. And uh, really this marks a new phase in the story of the children of God. They've been slaves in Egypt, you'll remember. God had brought them out of slavery in Egypt under the leadership of Moses. Uh, because, but because of their unbelief and because of their disobedience, they'd spent the last 40 years or so wandering around in the wilderness. I mean, that had made them laughing stocks in Egypt, really. They, you know, what sort of God promises this amazing land for themselves and then leaves them to wander around the desert for 40 years? And even in this passage that we're coming up to, it refers to the reproach of Egypt. So that's pretty much what it's talking about. It's just like, who are these guys? Who is this God who just has his people wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years? But finally, under Joshua's leadership, they've crossed over the River Jordan and they've, it was time to come in to the promises that God had for them. But before they did that, uh, they had to be fit for the challenges ahead and God had to get them battle ready. Hopefully we've got the slide that uh, Brent did. I don't know if that's available. Um, on the screen. If it's not, then uh, you'll need to get your Bibles out <laughs> or your phones. Um, there we go, battle ready. Um, so God had to get them battle ready. And uh, it's worth realizing that God had actually been at work in the Israelites in the wilderness. Interestingly, a lot of the words that just came at the end of the meeting there were really about that. What, what God is doing in us in the times when we feel like we're in the wilderness or we feel like we're in the storm or we feel like you know, life isn't going the way that it's planned, that we had planned. Uh, during those times, God's at work, even when we don't see it, even when I don't see you, you're working. The song we've just sung, like I said, it's all tying together. Deuteronomy, uh, and before we get into Joshua, Deuteronomy verse, uh, chapter 8, verses 2 to 5. God's talking about that through Moses. He says this, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in, these wil in the wilderness these 40 years, to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether you or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither your ancestors had known or you, to teach you that man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Your clothes didn't wear out and your feet didn't swell during those 40 years. Know then in your heart, as a man disciplines his son, so God disciplines you. God's at work in us when we're in these tough times. He really is. And uh, God had been working humility in the people. He'd led them in the desert in order to test them, in order to humble and to see what they were in their, was in their hearts. He caused them to hunger. But the, what he was wanting them to hunger after was to hunger after God. 
not just hunger after food. So there was no food there. He wanted them to hunger after God. And, and our difficult times lead us to hungering after God. They lead us to seeking God himself. Again, that's what Debbie was bringing this morning, wasn't it? So even as though God knew uh, what he was wanting to communicate with us this morning. It was all God's discipline bringing us, bringing them to bring about maturity in his people. So don't believe the lie that the enemy will tell you that God has deserted you when you're in the tough times. God is working in you. He may well be humbling you. He may well be causing you to hunger after him. It may be God's discipline, but God disciplines the ones that he loves, and we can take comfort in that, knowing God loves us. So anyway, now they're in the land, and we're up to chapter 5 and verse 2 to 12. We're going to read that passage, and we're going to see the unusual way uh, that God uh, got them to be battle ready. And then we're going to look to see what, uh, what God wants to say to us as a church about getting us battle ready for the things that are ahead of us as a church. So let's read chapter 5. And we're just going to read from verses 2 through 12. Um, At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeath Haraloth. Now, this is why he did so. All of those who came out of Egypt, the men of military age, they died in the wilderness on the way after leaving Egypt. All the people that came out had been circumcised, but the people born in the wilderness during the journey from Egypt hadn't. The Israelites had moved about in the wilderness 40 years until all the men who were of military age when they left Egypt had died since they'd not obeyed the Lord. For the Lord had sworn to them they wouldn't see the land he'd solemnly promised their ancestors to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So he raised up their sons in their place, and these were the ones Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they hadn't been circumcised on the way. I think we get the point. And after... (laughs) Sorry. And, uh, And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in the camp until they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated Passover. The day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites. But that year, they ate the produce of Canaan. All right, so it's time to prepare the Israelites for the battle ahead. So what is God going to get them to do? Is he going to get them to do some military exercises to prepare them? Is he going to get them to do some team bonding activities? No. The first thing that God gets them to do seems incredibly surprising, totally counterintuitive. Make some flint knives and circumcise all the men. Wonderful. Now, <laughs> that's <laughs> now I, I would imagine most of you would have a good idea of what circumcision is. Um, strangely enough, when it comes to preaching series, I, I always seem to get the message. <laughs> on, I mean, I've been here before. I, I know I have. I've probably been here before with you guys. I've certainly preached on this before. I don't know. Maybe it goes back to when I was... Uh, Back in the 90s, I was a religious education teacher, and I remember doing my teacher training, 
uh, in a school teaching practice, and I was taking a lesson on Judaism with some grade eights uh, in the class, and, uh, and it was on circumcision. That was what the whole lesson was. Oh, great, the curriculum's on circumcision. What a wonderful time to do this with some grade eights. And uh, you th you'd think that was bad enough, but I had a university professor. My, my supervisor was sitting in the back of the class observing me for this lesson. And so anyway, I start explaining to the teenagers what circumcision is. Most of them didn't know uh, because it's not a generally common practice in the UK. And um, I was explaining how eight-day-old boys, Jewish boys, would have their foreskin uh, cut. And that there was a special uh, guy, who, a special man who was allocated this job. What a great job to go for. Um, <laughs> you know, your career path, where are you going? Um, and this ceremony was done by a man called a Mohel. And uh, as I'm teaching this, the boy, I'm looking out, the boys in the class are kind of just wincing and looking really uncomfortable. Uh, at that point, a really mischievous thought entered my head. It's not a good idea. And so I said, actually, you know, I'm talking about this guy, the Mohel. I said, actually, some of you may have seen there's a man sitting at the back of this class uh, who you've not seen before. Um, he actually is one of these Mohels. <laughs> and I, I said, if any of you start misbehaving, he's going to take you out and give you a practical demonstration <laughs> of what he does. And all the class turned to look at this guy. And I mean, he didn't know anything. He didn't know I was going to say it. He played right along. So he just looked at them all and he just gave this mischievous grin <laughs> and glinted his eyes at them. And the, the class just fell totally silent. <laughs> I think if I'd have said it today, I w that would have been the end of my teaching. <laughs> but anyway, it, it played out pretty well. Um, <laughs> that's got nothing to do with the passage, really. But <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> that'll be all you remember from today. Uh, for the Israelites... <laughs> <laughs> Let's get back to the passage. The Israelites who lived in Egypt, um, they'd been circumcised before, but, but as God had previously commanded to Abraham, that's what you've got to do. It was part, in Genesis 17, it was part of the covenant that God made with Abraham. He said, I'm going to give you descendants, I'm going to give you many descendants, I'm going to give you a land flowing with milk and honey. But uh, Abraham, he said, I want you to circumcise yourself, I want you to set yourselves apart and... and all the people from uh, then onwards. And so that's what happened. But since the time they crossed into the wilderness and they went out of Egypt, as the passage says, no one has done that. So right now, right after they crossed over the Jordan into the land that God was giving them, God said, now is the time. You've got to make sure, because this is part of the covenant. This is part of the covenant I've made with you. Uh, so you need to do this before you go any further into the land. Now, strategically, this is a crazy move. Surely there's been plenty of time to get that done in the last 40 years while they were on the other side of the river. Now they've crossed. The Canaanites could be coming and they could be like, well, they're over the river now. We can attack them now. And these guys are not really in a position to defend themselves very well because they're going through several days of painful recovery. You know, you can't imagine that they're really fit for fighting. It doesn't seem to be that they're battle-ready. It doesn't seem to make any sense. But God doesn't use the strategies that we might use 
God's got other ideas about being battle ready. We've already seen that they're going to go into this land, and, and he, God's already told them and reminded them, hey, the, the, the walls go up to the sky of these big cities you're coming up to. Um, the people are bigger than giants. He's already reminded them they're not going to be able to do it in their own strength. Their trust had to be in God and in their obedience to him. And so to do what God said, crazy as it might seem, was exactly the best thing that they could have done. So all the men were circumcised. And then four days later, the people celebrated Passover. And that hadn't been done in all the time they were in the wilderness. Well, most of the time they were in the wilderness. Maybe I think it was the second year in the wilderness was the last time they celebrated Passover. So they hadn't celebrated Passover for 30 odd years either. Um, And that was the people looking back. Passover is for people to look back and remember the goodness of God in delivering them out of Egypt. And, uh, And we read, finally, that after they celebrated the Passover, they ate some of the food from the land that they were in. And up until that time, they'd been eating manna for breakfast and manna for lunch and manna for supper every day for 40 years. I mean, that's pretty rough going. I I fancied a change from my bran flakes this morning after just five days of eating them. Um, 40 years of eating the same thing, morning, noon, and night. And then now, and God had supernaturally provided it, uh, but now they're able to gather food from Cain, and now they're able to eat that. And from that day on, the manna stopped, and it was the start of a new era. So that's what happened. So what's going on here? And the bigger question, what relevance does it have for us today? Because the Apostle Paul is very clear in the New Testament that Christians do not need to be circumcised. Christians don't need to be circumcised. He's very strong, not to be a Christian, he's very strong in his opposition to people who said that they had to be. You just have to read uh, Galatians or any number of other of his letters where he talks about it. And we're not Jewish, so we don't celebrate Passover. And we've not been eating manna for 40 years, so that's not a big deal for us either. So what can we learn from this passage? How is this passage going to affect our lives today? Well, hopefully we can see how it will. Circumcision, let's start with that, was a way of making sure that the men were ritually ritually battle ready. It was a physical sign which marked the people out as being different from all the people around them, separate from all the nations and the people groups around them. And God has always wanted a people who will love and serve him. He's always wanted a people who love and serve him, but he wants them to be separate and he wants them to be holy, separate from others. That's what holy means. The word holy means to be separate. I mean, God is holy. What does that mean? God is holy. It means he's separate from us. God doesn't sin. In God, there is no sin. Humans, for us, we are born sinful. It's not that we're not sinful until we do something until we do something wrong. We're born sinful. It, the Bible tells us we're in Adam. We, when we're born, we're, it's in our DNA, you might want to say. We're born with a sinful 
nature. We inherit Adam's sinful nature. So God is separate from us. God is holy. God is without sin. We are sinful. That creates a division between us and God. So God wanted a holy people. God wanted a people who he could cleanse from their sin. A people who he could bring into relationship with him. But to be in a relationship with God means that God's people have to be holy. They have to be separate from other people. So in the Old Testament, God's people were the Israelites. Now, after the death and resurrection of Jesus, God's people are the church, Christians, us. In the Old Testament, God instituted a a system of sacrifice with animals, including lambs, to bring forgiveness to people, to, to bring cleansing from sin that had to keep being repeated. They had to, every year and every, every so often, they had to come and they had to sacrifice to be uh, cleansed of their sin so that they could be in relationship with God. But then Jesus came and Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. The Bible talks him of him as being the Passover lamb. Uh, symbolizing this. He died at at Passover, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. Jesus died on the cross for us, not for his sins, but to cleanse us from our sins. So that's what Jesus did. That's That's what means we can experience the forgiveness of God. We can experience the cleansing of God for our sins once and for all. And we stand before God pure, and righteous and holy. Doesn't mean that we don't ever, we don't never sin, but it means that God says, I've taken your sin away. I'm telling you, you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. You are declared a holy people. So that's how we can have a relationship with God. We could never have a relationship with God if we're sinful and God is holy, separate. No, now we can come in to God's presence. But what that means is that we have to be separate from others in some way. The outward way that we symbolize, that we show that we are united with Christ and we show and express all that Jesus has done for us is not circumcision. It's baptism, as Joe was just saying. Uh, The circumcision has taken place internally in our hearts. Paul explains it in his letter to the Philippians, chapter 3, verse 3. He says, it is we, the church, who are the circumcision. We who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. He's saying, "You you don't need to worry about the outward things that you do to your flesh, because we are the circumcision. So it's important for us to realize that as God's people, we are separate from the world. The Bible talks about us as being strangers and aliens, separate, different. We're separate in our thinking. We're separate in our future destiny. We're separate in our our day-to-day lives in how we live them. That is true circumcision. That's about our worship of God. So that's circumcision. So what relevance does the Israelites celebrating Passover have for us? Well, again, we saw a lot of this this morning already. The Passover was looking back and it was remembering the 10th 
plague, the tenth uh, plague that came upon Egypt, which was the death of the firstborn. And it struck Egypt, but it spared Israel. Remember, they painted the, the blood of the lamb on the door, doorposts and the, on the door frames. And on that night, God set the people free. Pharaoh let the people go, and the people walked out of slavery, and they entered into a new era, life as a free people. And Gary was talking about this last week. Uh, as he was looking at chapter 4, he, and, and the stones. And he, he was saying it's important to look back on what God has done in your life and look back on what God's done in the life of the church as well. Because if we're preparing for any kind of battle, and, and you know, we prepare for battle all the time. We've always got something ahead of us. If we're preparing for any kind of battle, it helps us to look back and remember what God has done. Remember where God's overcome previous battles in our lives. Some of us last, uh, yesterday afternoon were doing that over at uh, Byron's place in his, uh, in his shop when he was doing the Let's Talk shop uh, things. We were looking back, where has God been at work in our lives? Because it gives us confidence for the things that we're facing right now. And it gives us encouragement. We, we did it, uh, we did it in, in Sheffield when I was there uh, with Joe the other week. And we looked back and we looked and we told some stories about what God had done there in the past. We said, hey, that should encourage us and strengthen us and strengthen them as a church to go forward. So it's important for us to keep looking back at what God's done. And it's important for us to keep looking back to the time that we were set free from slavery and bondage. Romans 6 verses 17 and 18 says, thanks be to God. Though you used to be slaves to sin, you've come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that's claimed your allegiance. You've been set free from sin, and you've become slaves to righteousness. So, of course, that means we look back on the death and resurrection of Jesus. That was the time he won the victory over sin, and that sin was won for us. But for each of us personally, we will have a time when we came to know that for ourselves. When we were the ones who said, well, we were walking in these ways. We were walking in the ways of sinfulness. And now God has come into our lives. And now we have been set free from that. And the time that we look back on is our baptism. It's when we were baptized. It's an outward sign of what God has done in us. So when we go down into the waters of baptism, we show we've died to our old self. We've died to our sinful Nature, as Joe was just saying, we've died to our old bondage. <coughs> it's been left there in the waters of baptism. We've died to our old ways of thinking. It's been left. That person has been left behind. Now, don't, don't just get fooled into thinking, oh, yeah, yeah, it doesn't really mean anything. Baptism. It's just kind of going in the water. I get it's symbolic. Listen, there's something real that has happened. It's talking about something real that has happened. You have died to your old way of life. And you've left that person behind. And when you rise up out of the water, you've risen, it's shown you've risen to a new life in Christ, to holiness and to freedom. And God tells us who we are. All the way through the New Testament, God tells us through we are, he, who we are. He tells us we are forgiven and that we're pure and we're righteous and we're holy and we're children of God and we're free. And then he says, and now live out 
that in your life. Walk in that freedom. Be who you are. And yes, we'll still face battles in our life. We'll still face temptation and we'll fill, still face negative thoughts. But when we do that and when we face those things, we go back and we say, no, I'm not giving into those things because I left those things behind. That's my old self. I'm a new person now. I am new in Christ. We can tell ourselves that. It's not, it's not just positive thinking. It's the truth. It's the truth. We can tell ourselves those things. We die to that bondage. We die to sin. We are a new creation. So it's important to have that and go back to. Listen, if you've not been baptized, if you know Christ but you've not been baptized, I would strongly encourage you to get baptized because then you too will have something that you can look back to and say, that is when I declared I was dead to my old way of life and now I'm a new creation in Christ. So if you want to get baptized, come and speak to any of us, to myself, to Joe. We're going to be baptizing people at our church weekend in June, and we would love to baptize you. So then thirdly, the Israelites uh, enjoy some of the produce of the land. It's not yet the milk and honey that they've been promised, um, but it's some grain and it's some unleavened bread. Um, it, it's still, the milk and honey is still to come. The fullness of what the Israelites had got to enjoy was still to come, but they're getting a foretaste of it. They're getting a little taster of it. And when we come into new life in Christ, we receive a foretaste of the eternal pleasures that God's promised us too. We've got an eternal destiny we, when there'll be no more sickness and there'll be no more pain and there'll be no more suffering and no more tears and when everything will be made new and everything will be amazing. And, uh, and right now, we've been given kind of a deposit of that. We've been given a foretaste of that. We've got something that we can say, hey, this is different from the old stuff that we had before and now this is new and there's still better to come. And so we know we receive the Holy Spirit and we know the Holy Spirit dwelling in our hearts and we receive the joy of God, of the Lord through that. And we, and we see some of the outworkings of the kingdom of God as, as, as we go forward in our life. So we'll see people delivered from bondage of things and we'll see people healed and we'll see justice established and we'll say, well, it's not fully there. No, it's not fully there yet. It's a foretaste. Sometimes we can get hung up on, well, why don't we have it in fullness yet? When we pray for healing, why doesn't everyone get healed? There's the day coming when everyone's going to get healed. And right now, God's giving us a taster of it. So some will get healed. Well, why doesn't God heal me? All those questions. But don't allow those things to get in the way of what God is doing. God's giving us a foretaste of what is yet to come. There's so much more to come. So, for the Israelites, Gilgal is a time and a place to take stock. It's a time to get things in place. It's a time to circumcise. It's a time for Passover. It's a time to get battle ready. It's a time to get spiritually fit. So, the Israelites had to pursue ritual fitness. We pursue spiritual fitness. So, the final part of this message, we're going to look at how we can get spiritually fit, how we can prepare ourselves to get 
battle ready. But before we do that, I just want to say uh, that I believe for us as a church, as I've just been planning this and preparing, I just thought in some ways as a church, I believe we're, we're at a kind of Gilgal place. We've been through some tough times. Joe was referring to them, uh, some of that on, on Wednesday at our AGM. The last few years, we've faced some real challenges in a number of different areas. But God is faithful. God has brought us through to a place where we're about to enter a new phase, a new period of, of church life. Um, our new building symbolizes that in many ways. Uh, but I believe it's about far more than that. It's about coming into something. It's about seeing more people being saved. And if we're honest, and added to God's church, and if we're honest, we've not seen a whole lot of that recently. And we long to see more of that. I believe God's bringing us into a place where we're going to see more of that. It's about us displaying a love for each other, which is going to be evident to people around us. And, uh, and it's about a welcoming of other people. It's about a gathering people in. And, a, and, and, and as Joe said on, on Wednesday, there's work to be done there for us too. But I believe God's got a number of things. And there's promises over us as a church in the same way that there was promises over the Israelites. There's promises that we can press into, that we can believe that we will come into. So we've got to get ourselves battle ready. We've got to get ourselves physically fit for what is to come. Now getting yourself physically fit, spiritually fit, sorry. Getting ourselves physically fit can be a challenge if you're unfit. I mean, it's a discipline, isn't it? If, you, if you've ever got, maybe you do exercise fairly regularly, um, but then you have a few weeks where you don't do exercise. Like even just for, for me, I usually play squash three or four times a week. I went away with Joe to England. You know, we ate a lot of food. We didn't do a, hardly any exercise. And after a, after a week, 10 days, you're just like, I don't feel very fit anymore. So then I, I, you know, I went back. I played a game last week at the end of the week. And it's true. I wasn't very fit. You know, even just in 10 days, I'd got unfit. Uh, if, you'd, if, you're not, if you're not used to doing sport at all, if you're not particularly fit at all, it can be even harder to get yourself fit. And, you, and it's hard work and you won't feel like it. But the benefits are great because once you get yourself fit, you'll feel better about yourself. Your heart's going to be strengthened. You're going to have a better outlook on life. It's all the stuff that Byron was talking about yesterday as well. Um, it's good to do it. It's good, it's good for us to get physically fit. But in the same way, spiritual fitness strengthens our hearts. It strengthens the hearts of believers. It strengthens your heart for God in doing his will. It rids us of spiritual flab. It, it rids us of the bad habits and the, the slaveries that we find ourselves just going along with and the, and the gloomy way of looking at things maybe or the cynicism that we have which saps our energy and feeds our fears and robs us of our focus. You know, spiritual fitness substitutes energy and passion for spiritual laziness. It strengthens our resolve to live for Jesus and it replaces the bread alone diet for the word alone diet. Man shall not live by bread alone but by the word of God. The writer to the Hebrews says at the start of chapter 12, he says, let's throw off everything that hinders 
and the sin that so easily entangles. And let's run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So spiritual fitness is about running the race that God has got marked out for us. It's about throwing off sin. It's about getting rid of anything else that entangles us, that's unhelpful. It's about dedication. It's about single-mindedness. It's about perseverance and discipline. And, and those aren't things that immediately grab us and make us feel excited. Oh, yeah, perseverance, hard work, discipline. We, we, don't, we don't get excited about those things. The writer to the Hebrews knows that. He says, or she says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. But later on, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. I was sitting there yesterday with, with this group of guys, and at the end of what, what Byron was, was talking to us about, he, he, he showed us some different uh, physical activities we could do, like, like press-ups and planks and <sighs> all sort of things that I was just sitting there going, oh, my word, I, don't really <laughs> I really didn't want to do any of those. Because <laughs> it's not seeming pleasant at the time. But I know that if I gave myself to them and did them, not that I'm going to, but I know that if I did, <laughs> I might do. <laughs> I know that if I did, it would produce benefits. I know it would. And there's a discipline in maintaining our spiritual fitness. There's a discipline that comes in throwing off sin and other things which would hinder us in what God's calling us to. And it's not going to seem appealing. It's not. It could be any number of things. I'll throw a few out. It could be our preoccupation with social media, apps and websites which just feed us a steady diet of amusing videos, which do nothing for our holiness or godliness. We can just keep scrolling from one to the next to the next. Teenagers, I think you're particularly vulnerable to this. This is an area that it's just there in your life. So you've kind of grown up with it. But what are you feeding yourself with? You've got to ask yourself those questions yourself. Are you feeding yourself just a diet of YouTube, TikTok? For other people, it might be Netflix or other unhelpful things that you're going to find on the internet or gaming or watching sports or gambling or alcohol. And some of those things aren't even sinful in and of themselves, but they can easily get us there. It can be like feeding ourselves a steady diet of McDonald's. McDonald's, McDonald's, McDonald's. We're not going to get fit and healthy. And then there's the discipline of training. What things are we going to do to maintain our spiritual fitness? So there's the throwing off things. There's the, I'm going to eat more healthily. I'm going to feed myself something differently. But what is it that we're going to replace it with? What are we going to maintain? How are we going to maintain our spiritual fitness? I've got a few really practical things. They're not going to surprise you. They're not going to be some new revelation. They're probably all going to be things that we agree about, but they're areas that we need to discipline ourselves and train ourselves in because they're all things that our flesh is not going to run for. Our flesh is not going to go, yeah, I really want to do this. So we have to discipline ourselves and we have to train ourselves. Our flesh is going to say, I want to watch Netflix. 
If you decide you're going to get physically fit, you've got to dedicate time and effort. And set time aside to do that and decide you're going to do it. And it's no different to deciding you're going to get spiritually fit and battle ready. So here we go. Here's a few things, very briefly. Weekly worship. Gathering together as a church, like we're doing this morning, to worship God, to encourage each other with spiritual gifts and to feed on his preached word. And Jesus tells us that when we do that, he's going to be here with us. That's the good news. He says, whenever you gather together, two or three of you even, I'm going to be with you. Hebrews 10, 25 says, don't neglect meeting together because you need to encourage each other in your growth and fitness. Don't allow other things to start to encroach, to start to creep in to Sunday mornings, which is currently when we are meeting together uh, as a church, and, and gradually relegate time together as a church worshiping God. So don't get into thinking, oh, well, I'll, I'll be at church as long as there's not something else on, as long as I've not got something else to do, as long as I don't have this activity or that ac activity. If, if you get into that way of thinking, you need to start to think, hang on, have I got an idol in my life? Remember what an idol is? An idol is something, anything that, has you that, that you always put before God. Idols demand your loyalty. Is there anything that is demanding your loyalty? Is there anything that is demanding your commitment to it above God and above worshiping God? The Bible says you've got to tear down your idols. That's an uncomfortable thing to do. Zealously protect your time with God's people worshiping him. It's just an extended time in God's presence. It encourages us. It strengthens us. That's one thing. Love of the Bible. Getting into God's word. Feeding ourselves on the word of God instead of other things. So it's easy to feed ourselves on the social media stuff. It is. I, I battle with it myself. I'm, just, I'm not saying I've got this all sorted out. No way. But these are some things to, that we can do to discipline ourselves. So we can do that by meditating on God's word. We can listen to it in the car, on audio. Find whatever works for you. Because feeding yourself with God's word enables you to know more about God, to know more about who he is. God speaks to us personally through his word, by his Holy Spirit. And we discover more about who we are in him as well. And then we can live it out. Prayer. Prayer, again, something that our flesh never wants to do, never wants to do. We tend to find anything more appealing to do than prayer because our flesh doesn't want us to pray and the enemy definitely doesn't want us to pray. But when we do pray, apart from we call on God and God hears us and answers us, actually we feel better about it. When we come away from a time praying, we usually feel a lot better than we did before we went in. So again, we need to discipline ourselves in that. Put it in a schedule. I find it, personally, I find it much more easy to pray with other people than I do on my own. Some people just love to get on their own and they can do it and they can be not distracted. I find that very, very difficult. I find I need, I tend to need other people to, to pray with. And so I make sure that I put things in the schedule some of them weekly, some of them other times. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put things in the schedule. I'm going to say, I'm going to definitely be praying then. And I try and make sure that nothing squeezes that out if I can help it. Again, find out what works for you. For some of you, it might be you, you pray or you, or you listen to mu worship music or whatever when you're working out. 
Others, it might be sitting quietly and meditating. Some of you, it might be playing an instrument and worshipping. Find whatever works and do it. Service for God. God puts us in the church so that we can use the gifts that he gives us to build each other up. And the gifts that God gives us primarily, actually, are for the church. They're for each other. They're to use for each other. Now, yes, we can use those gifts to reach other people as well, and it would be great, and we can start doing that, and we'd love to see that happening more, but we can build each other up by using the gifts and by serving in God's church. And so as we serve, we'll be discipled, and we'll be sharpened in our faith, and again, we'll find some fulfillment. Two more, I think. Participation in a small group, or, or meeting together with a small group of other believers. So again, this is another area that we can feel we just don't have time for that. Look, the reality is, if we're going to get spiritually fit, we have to decide and dedicate time to do certain things. It's, it's, it's just a decision of the will. And we've got to decide it ourselves. There's no point someone else telling you. You've got to know, okay, God's doing it yourself. So I'm not legalistically setting these things out, by the way. I'm just saying these are the things that are going to help you get spiritually fit. Allow God to challenge you. Is that what God is saying to you? So, we can feel that we don't have time for a small group, but if we prioritize it, and if we attend regularly, we will find it does wonders for our spiritual life and other areas of our life as well. I tell you, people who struggle with their marriages or with their parenting or with addictions or discouragement or wrong thoughts, or all, they're almost always people who are not part of a small group who meet together regularly. That doesn't mean it has to be a life group. It doesn't have to fit into the box of the life group, but find a group of people. It might be two or three of you who just meet together every week or two, and you pray together and you encourage each other. It could be anything. Byron's group, the Let's Talk Shop. I'm going to plug this because I tell you, I went yesterday. It was excellent. It was excellent. Guys, it's for guys in the church. If you are a guy in the church, I would say there's not much that you will find better to do with two hours on a, more helpful for you for two hours on a Saturday afternoon every three weeks or so than to get along to that. There was some practical, godly teaching and then an environment where there was an openness where people could share the things that they're struggling with or encouragements about the way forward. It is excellent. I would encourage you, make a decision to go. Invest in your spiritual fitness. Don't, I mean, you go, oh, Saturday afternoon, that's kind of my family time. Listen, you will do more for your family, more good for your family by going for two hours to that than by not going to it. It could be the best investment that you can make because it will strengthen you as you lead your family. All right. There's other ways that you can get involved. Find something. And finally, regular giving. And this is a key area that God calls us to. And again, it's something that we can battle with. And, and I'm not just saying it because the church needs your money. There's a real joy that can come from realizing that everything that we have comes from God. And that as we give to him generously, he pours blessings into our lives. He does. 
He does pour blessing into our life. We learn to trust God through that. We learn that God is faithful. And as we're investing in the work of the kingdom and we're seeing things work out, we're storing up for ourselves treasures in heaven as well. Okay, all of those things help us to get battle ready. They help us to get spiritually fit. They're all examples of us living out who we already are in Christ. He declares us to be righteous, holy, set apart, children of God, and he says, live out who you are then. That's who you are. We were saying about who God is. Then he tells us who we are. There's another song. I am who you say I am. Then we live it out. And he empowers us to do it by his Holy Spirit. So like I say, it's not new revelation, (laughs) but it's important stuff. Christ Central Church, it's time for us to take stock. This is our Gilgal. There's going to be many battles still to face. There's going to be promises that we've got to walk into. God is with us, even when it seems like he isn't. Even when it feels like we've been wandering in the wilderness, he's still been working in our hearts. But this is a time to get serious about things. It's a time to commit ourselves to spiritual fitness. It's a time to get battle ready. We've got a God to glorify. We've got a commission from him to fulfill. And there are people to be won for Christ. So let's not waste our time eating junk food, whether that's literal junk food or spiritual junk food. Let's get prepared for what is to come. All right, if the band want to come back up, I'm just going to pray. And then we're going to worship and we're going to respond. I would just encourage you to allow God to speak to your heart. As I said this this morning, I feel that God was wanting to challenge us, but not in a heavy way. There's some reality to this and there's some seriousness seriousness to what I've been saying. But this isn't You've got to do this to be a Christian. You've got to do that. No, no, no. If you're, if you're thinking that, if you think, oh, I've got to do all these things or else I'm not a good enough Christian. No. You are good enough because of what Christ has done for you. You stand righteous in him. You will come into all of the promises that God has. You will know him in glory, not because of how you live your life, but because of him. But God's saying, that's not what I want you to be. I want you to be a holy and set apart people and I want you to come and I want you to live for me and give yourself to me. Why don't we stand together? Let's just pray. Father God, I want to pray that you will, Lord, where there's been, if there's been anything I say this morning which has had the wrong tone, the wrong emphasis, which communicates legalism instead of the grace that you freely lavish on us, Lord, I pray that you will take that out of people's mind. I pray that wouldn't be a stumbling block for anyone. But Lord God, I want to pray that we will hear what you are saying to us. We will hear what you are saying to us. We will know that we are dearly loved by you. We will know that you've not left us in our wilderness times and you're working in our hearts. We'll know that you're for us. We'll know that we set free from everything which held us in bondage when we were baptized in you and Lord God I want to pray that you will encourage us and help us have the discipline to live a life which is going to enable us to face the battles ahead 
and the challenges that you have for us and to walk into everything that you have promised for us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.